The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. I just want to read a couple of scriptures to you. Just as we were singing that last chorus, these things came to mind. Now, you know that when we come to church, we come to worship, we come to seek God, we come to connect with God. You saw those things that Adrian Holloway was talking about and how we can understand who God is. And yet at the same time, we're fighting against something. If you didn't know you were fighting against something, then I'm here to tell you, you're fighting against something. You're fighting against the powers and the principalities that want to hold you back and to stop you. But God wants you to excel. God wants you to rise above. God wants to give you strength. God wants to help you in your life. And so the Word of God says this. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For it says our struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now some of you are thinking about your struggle and it is against flesh and blood because I can tell you, it's my next door neighbor and he is causing me problems. That's flesh and blood. So you see, we get confused. Well, that's flesh and blood, so this isn't true. But you see, the spirits can operate through somebody. So you have a neighbor who comes to me and starts slagging you off or saying, I'm not moving my fence or, you know, you do this or what have you done that for or why have a bonfire at that time of night or whatever he may be doing or whoever it may be. It's not flesh and blood you're fighting. It's powers and principalities. And you know what? When sometimes somebody who you know, a friend of yours, can also be used by the enemy. The enemy can use people. This is why we need to keep our lives clean and pure before God. And you know, when it happens, they can speak words, and it's not like those words have the weight of somebody just saying, if a neighbor says, like, cut down that tree, I don't like it. Sometimes they can say that, and it's okay, like, we'll talk about it. Sometimes they could say, I I know it's a bad example, but just bear with me. Sometimes people can say something like that, and it's like their words, they're like a sword that goes into you penetrates into you. That often is when there is a spirit behind it. It has a deeper effect upon your life. You feel it in your life. Listen, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers, against authorities, against powers of darkness of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And God goes on, or in this case it's Paul talking in Ephesians, he goes on to tell us about the things that we need to do to help us. So he's saying, he's reminding us to put on the belt of truth. The fact of truth, the fact that God is true, the fact that we are reminding ourselves about what God is like, that's putting on the belt of truth. The helmet of salvation is remembering that we are saved, remembering that Christ has died for us. We're remembering these things and we're putting this armor on, we're using these things. And it goes on to say about our feet being fitted with the readiness to share the gospel of peace. There should always be a readiness within us to talk about the things that Jesus has done for us and to declare the gospel with others. And of course it then says about taking up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish 
every one of those fiery darts that comes against us. Taking the helmet of salvation, then it goes on to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when you're singing songs which contain the Word of God, or we're making declarations about the Word of God, it is like we are wielding a sword at the enemy, and we're attacking him. So when we're declaring, no, 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 Scripture says this, I am a child of God. He has given me the right to be called a child of God. That is like wielding a sword. And you know what? When you just cut yourself with a knife when you're doing some cooking, ouch, that hurts. When we wield the sword of the Word of God, we can attack the enemy. So the Word of God is a very important weapon for us. But then it also goes on to say, and pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. It tells us to pray in the Spirit. So if you have that ability, don't hold back. Pray. Why? You don't always know what you're saying. In fact, you don't know what you're saying, but you are using a spiritual weapon against the enemy. And you know, if we would turn over into Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 says this in verse 4, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're not guns. They're not knives. The sorts of things we're reading about in the press that people are fighting themselves with. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So if you've got a knife in your handbag, please leave it outside. We don't want those in here. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, is what the scriptures say. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now listen to what the Word of God is saying. The weapons of our warfare have divine power. Not your power, not your might, not your ability, not your strength. They have divine power for the demolishing of strongholds. This is what the Word of God is saying to us and what we can believe in. God's Word, God's weapons, they have divine power. I am so encouraged with this. I don't want something of my power because I can run out of strength, I can run out of energy. But the weapons of my warfare in God, they have divine power for the demolishing of strongholds. Johnny was talking about he, the Son, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. That is a declaration of truth over your life. However, however, you can still be in bondage to sins that you're still operating in because you haven't walked free of them. He has made you free, but you have to gain your freedom. Listen, the weapons of our warfare have divine power. Divine power. I don't know what you're facing whether you're here and you're confused, confused about God, whether you're feeling distanced from God, whether you're feeling separated from God. I don't know what God wants to do in your life, but I, well, I do know what he wants to do. He wants to release his divine power so that the strongholds in your life can be demolished, can be demolished. And Paul goes on to say this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. So even as I'm speaking to you, if you're hearing voices in your heart, no, 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 that's not possible. God can't do that. He doesn't want to do that for you. That is a pretension that is raising itself up against the knowledge of God. And we have to say, listen, the weapons of the warfare that God has given to us, they have divine power for pulling you down in Jesus' name. We're going to sing this chorus. Not that chorus. Let's go back to the chorus. 
I suppose you've been looking at that thinking, what on earth is all he talking about? We lift your name up. Folks, we're going to sing this. Now, when you're singing this chorus, you're going into warfare. We lift your name up. You are higher. Your weapons, oh God, have divine power for the demolishing of strongholds in my life. In my life. Claim it for yourself. We're not singing this just as a song. We're singing this as warfare. We're singing there's no one. There's no one like you, Jesus. You are the one who is able to help us. You are the one that is able to break through. So let's sing it and sing it and sing it and get the words into you and out of you because God wants to bring his release into your life. We, you are high. There's no one like you. Jesus, we lift your name up. We lift your name. You are higher. There's no one like you. Jesus, we lift your name up. We lift your name. You are higher. There's no one like you. Jesus, we lift your name up, we lift your name, those who are higher, there's no one like you, Jesus, we lift your name up, we lift your name, you are higher, there's no one like you, Jesus, we lift your name up. We lift your name, you are higher. There's no one like you, Jesus. We lift your name up. We lift your name, you are higher. There's no one like you, Jesus. We lift your name up. We lift your name, you are higher. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you, oh God. There's no one like you, oh God. There's no one like you, oh God. There's no one who is like you. No one that compares to you. No one who is merciful as you are merciful. No one who is gracious as you are gracious. No one who is loving as you are loving. No one who will help us as you will help us. No one who knows secrets and mysteries like you know secrets and mysteries. You can reveal them to us. You can help us, oh God. You are our help and our strength. An ever-present help in time of trouble. You, oh God, are our strength. Lord, you are the one that we raise up. You are the one that we glorify. You are the one that we magnify. You are the one that we exalt. We praise you. There's no one like you. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you. We lift your name up. Thank you. Hallelujah. Please do take your seats. Please take your seats. Amen. There's no one. The reason we do these things, folks, I'm sitting here in the front row and I'm thinking, you know what? I can feel the pressure. I can feel the pressure. There are things that come against us that want us to stop believing that God loves us. I don't care if you've heard it before, you need to hear it again. God loves you. He is for you, not against you. He is with you. He is the one who is shouting in heaven your praise. 
If you lost the sack race or the egg and spoon race as a kid and you've never got over it, Jesus was cheering you on all the time because he is for you. He is the lover of your soul and the lifter of your head. You've got to keep telling yourself. There's so much pressure all around you that wants to distract you, that wants to take you away, that wants to diminish these words within you. But you need to hold your head up strongly and say, I am a child of God. I have been bought with the price of Jesus Christ. His blood was paid for my life. He is for me, not against me. And even though I feel weak, even though I'm struggling with my thoughts, He is going to help me. His word can overcome. The weapons of my warfare are mighty through God for the breaking of strongholds. And the strongholds we have in our lives, they must come down in Jesus' name. We've been talking about Daniel, as you know. I think Daniel was like this. When he went into his prayer closet, it wasn't a quiet time. We call them quiet times. Sometimes, when I pray at home, I have to pray actually much quieter because I've you know, got neighbours people sleeping and things like that, you have to pray a bit quieter but at times inside you want to start shouting because you are warring against things I am not having this Lord come and help me, come and see the iniquity in this situation come and help us to overcome and you have something that wants to rise up so we call them quiet times because what we're saying is we separate ourselves unto God. But they're not really quiet times. They're noisy times because we're coming and we're talking with God. I think Daniel was a man who had noisy times. He had noisy times because he needed God. He needed God and he wanted to see God. Let's have our first point so it helps me to remind myself of what it is. Ooh, no, let's, uh, okay, well, the first point is this. It's the strategy of heaven. Kingdom work, the strategy of heaven. Kingdom work. What is kingdom work? Essentially, kingdom work, when we're talking about kingdom work, we're talking about us here on earth bringing the affairs of heaven down. Right from the beginning of Scripture, if you go into Genesis and you see the creation of man, man was created by God, and for God, and he was created to rule over the earth. There's a purpose that we have, to rule over the earth, to bring God's dominion, God's rule, God's desires upon the earth. That has not changed. So when we're talking about kingdom work, we're talking about that. We're talking about getting us, getting back into alignment with what God wants us to do, what he's always wanted us to do, which is to serve his purposes here upon the earth. The problem is that when Adam and Eve gave their lives over, or sinned, gave themselves over to the enemy, allowed the prince of darkness to come and to operate through them, Satan himself has been seeking to rule in the earth. So in the earth there are two kingdoms that are operating. There's the kingdom of our God, which is the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of darkness, which is prevailing. Well, at times we think like... I'm confused, because when I'm reading in the papers, this looks like the kingdom of darkness is prevailing. But sometimes when I come back into church, and I feel strengthened, I think, okay, the kingdom of God is prevailing. You know, for each one of us, we are here, and we represent different people with different family connections, with different work and, and, and everyday life connections, 
But we are here with those connections to come and to take the kingdom of God into those places. So that where we go and who we meet with and how we conduct ourselves, we're not operating the same way as the world does. Because we're not of this world, we're of the kingdom of God. And therefore, when we're coming and dealing with people, there should be fairness, there should be justice, there should be peace, there should be love being shown. Why? Because those are all things to do with the kingdom of God. And God, through us, is wanting to bring his kingdom in. So there's a strategy of heaven, and the strategy is quite simple. I have people who I have created, who I redeem by my son, Jesus Christ, so that they can go and do the work of the kingdom of God. They can bring the kingdom of God where they are, and therefore where the kingdom of God comes, there God's rule is. So in your family, and at times it might always seem like this, in your family when you're serving the purposes of God, when you come together to pray, when you seek to bring your children up in the fear of God, you're bringing the presence and the kingdom of God there, and that's a place where God starts to rule, where he can reign in those places. Daniel and his friends were seeking to do exactly this in their time in the city where they found themselves. And let's remember, at one point in their lives, they were living a fairly privileged life, but they were living in Israel. They were worshipping the God of Israel. They were there and everything was fine. But you see, God said, no, 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 I need you to do something for me. Not that he spelled it out to them at the time, but he probably saw their hearts and said, right, these are good men to send to Babylon. So they find themselves, what's happened to us? We've been uprooted from everything we've enjoyed. We've been uprooted from all the things that were so good for us, and so, so dear to us. And now we find ourselves in Babylon. And whenever you read of Babylon in the scriptures, although it's a town, it a city, it represents a place where there is darkness and the rule of darkness. It's a representation. So after the fall of Babylon, after the fall of the kingdom of Babylon, there's still this idea in Scripture that Babylon represents the encampment of the, of the, of the enemy. And that's where they're taken. But when they go there, they already know their purpose. I am here to bring the kingdom of God in. So they go purposefully. Please, when you go from here today, I want you all to be speaking to yourselves, I am going from this place and wherever I go, my job is to take the kingdom of God there. And that doesn't mean to say that you go in and you start announcing, this morning I've come to the office and I've come to bring the kingdom of God here. So will you gather around? Just be normal. Just be normal. But the things that God desires, let them flow through your life. So forgiveness, you don't have a choice about forgiveness. You do not have a choice about forgiveness. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but there will be people here who are finding it difficult to forgive somebody. The word of the Lord to you is you do not have a choice in this matter because if you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. That's my words, but I'm repeating what the scripture says. You don't have a choice about forgiveness. We have to release people. Why? Because it's the kingdom. And if you don't forgive, you're not letting the kingdom in. And that's the work that you're to do. Daniel and his friends went. They had to forgive. They had to bless. They had to serve. They had to humble themselves. They had to learn. 
They'd do all of those sorts of things, but they were there and they recognized that their task was to bring the kingdom of God in. And you see, God wants, it, it says of, of, of Jesus that he is seated in heaven and he is there waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. And when we get to Revelation, it talks about the fact how the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. Now what that means is there comes a time when the whole of the earth becomes the place where God is reigning again, where his rule is found. The enemy is defeated, but he's not completely thrown out. But there will be a day when he is not only defeated, but he is thrown out. He is defeated on the cross. He is thrown out when he is put in the, in the fiery pit. Hallelujah. So Daniel and his friends were in this situation. Daniel 4 verse 8, it says this. Finally, Daniel came into my presence. This was Nebuchadnezzar talking, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, when we read, and that was, as I say, in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is declaring that he calls Daniel Belteshazzar. Why? Because he's naming him after his God. That was the God that Nebuchadnezzar, or one of the gods that Nebuchadnezzar was serving. I say that because that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. Now, when we get to the end of Daniel chapter 4, uh, verse 37, we read this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the God of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Can you see the work that Daniel and his friends have been able to accomplish through God's power working in them? They had seen Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the kingdom of Babylon, moving from serving his God to declaring things about the living God. It's transformation. I know he said, oh, that's nice. It's not. God has moved in this man. Nebuchadnezzar has given himself over to now serving the things of God. That is what has happened. Now you think in your situations, oh, your boss, that could never happen. You don't, you don't know who he's like. You don't know what she's like. Oh my goodness, they're so far away. Well, what about Nebuchadnezzar leading a nation, a dark nation? a nation that was serving darkness. Don't forget, whenever he had an issue, who did he call? He called, he wasn't calling D Daniel alone. He first of all calls all of the people who are involved in witchcraft and black magic and all that stuff. He calls all of those powers in because that's what they were used to. He was in darkness. Is God able to save? Yes, he is. Even the people that we think is impossible, Yes, he is. Our job is not to think about the impossibility. Our job is to trust in the one for whom nothing is impossible. That's our job. So we shouldn't go around burdening ourselves. With, oh, I don't know how it's going to happen. Do you know what? I have no idea how these things are going to happen. God doesn't always tell us. But I know he is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. That's what the Word of God says. See, that is how we fight the enemy. We're reminded, no, 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 no. This is what God says. He is able to do far abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. So in my mind, I'm thinking, how can this be? But I've got to silence my mind. Because God is not my mind. He is a spirit who comes and works through me. 
Those who walk by the Spirit of God are the sons and the daughters of the living God. Kingdom work is what we have been called to. Kingdom work means that we are there praying and interceding. Daniel was interceding daily, I believe, for Nebuchadnezzar. Many times. When he first got there, he would have been praying, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm praying for Nebuchadnezzar. I'm asking you, Lord, to come and touch his heart. I don't know what you want to do, but I know that you love him, Lord, because you created him. He seems to be far from you. He seems to be wrapped up in darkness. I don't know if these are the words that Daniel was using, but I believe he was interceding. Daniel is just an example of what we're to do. We're called to do kingdom work. We're called to bring the strategy of heaven down here upon earth. That's what we're called to do. In Ezekiel uh, 22, verse 30, we read this, where the prophet is saying of God, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it but I found no one. It's a terribly sad scripture because it's this sense in which there God is saying, I'm looking for people who will do kingdom work. I'm looking for people who will surrender themselves to me and acknowledge they're here for my purpose so that I can bring my rule in. But the trouble is I keep looking and looking and I find that people are busy doing other things. They're looking after their own affairs. I want them to look after the affairs of heaven while they're there upon earth. I want to encourage you when you go back tomorrow. Go back into your office. Go back to your place of work, your school, your college, your university, your home, the school gates, wherever you're doing life. And just look around and see if you see anybody with any need. And just make a note of it. I noticed a group of women who were weeping over something in the playground. I noticed this guy. Well, he wasn't weeping, but I could see the pile of papers he's got on his desk. I noticed this catastrophic computer failure that's affected our department and the guy in charge was pretty upset. I, I don't know what it is because they're all different but they matter. They matter to those people and people matter to God and God is asking us will you take the information you see, will you come home and will you pray for them? Will you stand in the gap for them? And you don't always know what to pray. Listen, knowing that you don't know what to pray is a great place to start praying because you can start to say, God, I don't really know how to pray for this person, but I'm asking you to reveal things to me so that I may pray more effectively. Doesn't that sound like what Daniel was doing with the dream? He didn't know the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. He had to go to God and say, God, I don't know what this is about. I don't know what I should be bringing. But if you would help me and reveal it to me, then maybe your purposes can be unlocked. Were they unlocked? Hallelujah. We're seeing Nebuchadnezzar move from serving his God to being declaring about our own God. And so we can see that God has been moving. Hallelujah. Kingdom work can, of course, be challenging. And let's not think that it's all easygoing. When we read the book of Daniel, we're reading of the life of Daniel, and what is happening is happening over weeks and months and years and decades. Not just five minutes. And, and take that on board because when we read scriptures, we want all of that excitement to happen today and then again tomorrow and then again the next day. 
I want a life that's full of action and, and you know, action movie every day type of thing. But it's not like that. Daniel's life was, was carrying on. He was steadfast in one thing. I am here to serve the purposes of God. That's what he's steadfast in. That's his focus. And so that's what he keeps in his life and it stirs his life. Now, the second point I want to talk to you about is the political scene. Because the political scene in this nation, I mean, look at your news this morning, it's all about the G7. They had a lovely time, so I understand. Lots of smiles and lovely handshakes. Everybody was happy. Oh, well, you've got Angela Merkel sending a photograph, which clearly looks as though everybody's about to punch Donald Trump, you got, and so on and so forth. Politics is a filthy business in one sense. But it's a God-given business. It's just that there's a lot of people who are not walking the kingdom out in their lives. That's why we want to see the kingdom of God coming in people and kingdom people going into politics because that's one of the only ways you're going to change it. But politics is a dirty place. You know what? It was a dirty place in Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar comes to the end of his life and then he passes on the kingship to his son. And his son, his firstborn son, who's Emil Emil Marduk is his name, um, known in the Bible as Evil Merodach. And uh, so he was the king after Nebuchadnezzar. This is round about six, what have I got here? Six, you know the BC, it's always the other way around, doesn't it? So it always confuses me. Anyway, he was reigning. He reigned for a couple of years. As he starts to reign, one of the things he does is the king, one of the kings of Judah that Nebuchadnezzar had taken captive in Babylon, he releases him. That seems a nice thing to do, but it started to cause that unrest of the feeling of like, hang on, you're undoing the things that your father did. We don't like change. And it's the sort of thing that we see. You know, in politics, things can change suddenly in a day and then everything gets thrown up in the air. That's the same thing that was happening there. And so actually, this caused a disturbance and it started to cause unrest. So much unrest, in actual fact, that what we find is that Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, a man named Nurgle Shah Usa, which I'm not going to repeat. I probably got it wrong in the first place. He murders him. So you see, in these times, while we've got one point, we've got Nebuchadnezzar being touched by God, we've also got a nation that's still in a mess. And one thing we can see, like, well, for Daniel, everything was fine. You know, he prayed and everything happened. Everything changed in the nation. Well, no, it didn't. He had great influence in the nation, and he was influencing the nation, and he influenced and could see what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But there's all sorts of other stuff that's going on as well but he still needs to maintain his course of seeking to bring the kingdom of God into where he is. And not only have we seen this murder, then after a little while, Nurgle Shausa's son, Labashki, took over from him, and he gets murdered by somebody else, by a a name of a guy called Nabu Nadid. And these probably are completely wrong. Nabu Nadid's eldest son, was Belshazzar. So when we come and we're reading in Daniel, and we're reading from chapter 4, and we're going into chapter 5, which would help if I had it in front of me, then we're finding ourselves going on, talking from 
King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going on to talk about King Belshazzar. And in that passage, it talks about his son and it talks about the king. But actually, those words, though they are translated as son and king and things like that, they can mean ancestor or predecessor. And so actually, this does fit in with actually what they're saying, how the kingship went at that time. But we can see there was lots of coming and going. Nabunadid and his son Belteshazzar, uh, sorry, Belshazzar, he actually let Belshazzar reign in his place. So in other words, he was the king, and he said, well, I, I just want to go and do other things. So I'll tell you what, son, you're going to take this up. You come and reign now. And that's what we see. So when we go from chapter 4 in Daniel into chapter 5, and suddenly we're reading about this king, Belshazzar, we're reading of him having a fantastic party. And he's gathering his friends, and he's bringing them all in, and they're starting to have a feast. So point three I'll come into very quickly, Belshazzar's feast. Let's read from chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, or his predecessor, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Here we see Belshazzar was having a great feast. He was in trying to impress everybody around him. Hey, I'm the king. Come and have a great party. Come and do all this. He was trying to impress people, but at the same time, while he was impressing them, he was seeking to disrespect God. Because he was taking the things that were from the temple of God, and they're just having a high party with them, and using them as their goblets for drinking all sorts of drinks. So in the midst of this story, we're shown that God arrests Belshazzar's attention. Verse 5, it says, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Now, you read these stories, okay, and you think, oh, yeah, that's fine. Just imagine, okay, just imagine if suddenly here, out of nowhere, there's a hand that appears. You've got to put yourself in this. When God speaks, he speaks in a way that he wants to get attention. And you see this right through Scripture. He doesn't just sort of say, like, oh, I, I, I can just speak this into your mind. He does speak into people's minds. But when he wants to get somebody's attention, he knows how to do it. And in this case, there is a hand that just appears and it starts writing on the wall. Do you think it went silent? Do you think people looked? Do you think some of the people from the party left? Do you think some felt uncomfortable? Do you think some of them are thinking, like, what is this we're drinking? I mean, you can imagine the fear that comes in. God is in control. And any moment he can show it, and he can do it by something like that, which arrests attention. It says in verse 6, talking of Belshazzar, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. He was terrified and traumatized. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, 
and diviners to be bought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and will have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Notice how this king, Belshazzar, has gone back to the old ways. He doesn't first of all call upon the God of Jerusalem or the God of the Israelites or call for Daniel. He calls for those people who are the enchanters, all those who are operating in the dark powers. Those are the ones he calls for. Verse 8, it says, Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. See, they're dumbfounded. God can do this. He can dumbfound the people who feel that they should have an answer, but they can't. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew even more pale. How, what color do you go from from white? You know they say like your skin turns white or your face goes pale. Well, what do you go to? Translucent? I, I, I don't know. But obviously it was getting even more pale, and his nobles were baffled. The queen, however, hearing the voices of the king, came in and says, O king, live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father or your predecessor, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams. Listen, when God wants to raise you up, God keeps you up. Sometimes you think, okay, God used me once and then he seems to have forgotten about me. God knows who are his and he knows when he wants to use them. So suddenly in the kingdom, Daniel... Daniel was just going about his everyday work. Do you notice that sometimes we just have to go about normal life? We live according to the kingdom of God. We do not stop seeking to bring God's kingdom in wherever we go because that's what we're here for. But not every day is a day of bells and whistles and everything going great for you. It's just a normal day or an average day. There's plenty of average days. Do we have average days? Yes, of course we have average days. We have lots of them. But every now and again we have a special day when we feel that God has spoken or God has said something. And here was a special day for Daniel. He's being called up again. He's always ready. He's always ready. And he is being called up again. So verse 13 it says, So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel? See, he didn't know him. One of the exiles that my father, the king, brought from Judah. I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing. Tell me what it means and tell me what it means, but they couldn't. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple, gold chain, all this sort of thing put around your neck. Verse 17, Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts for yourself. <laughs> you can keep your gifts for yourself. It's the sort of thing you want to say to Donald Trump, isn't it, actually? You can keep your gifts for yourself. The, here is a man who is assured of the king that he is serving. 
Now, I only say that because it's good for us to recognize these things. Sometimes we forget. We get, oh, we want to come under the king of this country. Oh, this is a great person. We want to come under this. No, no, no. Daniel lived under the king of kings. He knew who he was. He knew what he was there for. And he went about that business. So when there's all this talk coming from Belshazzar, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Look, king, you keep that for yourself. There's no need to worry me about that. But let me tell you. Nevertheless, he says, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. And in verse 18, we go on. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Daniel, at this point, goes in to give a historical account of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Just in case you had forgotten, this is the things that my God can do. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations of, uh, and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. That's what God can do. And that's what we saw last week with the story. Verse 22, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. There is a responsibility. When we hear the things of God, we are responsible to take hold of them. Belshazzar had heard of these things. And instead, here he was having a party, lifting up the goblets from the temple. Daniel went on to say, in verse 23, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Folks, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all of your ways. We struggle to believe that God is the one who holds our life in his hand, our breath in his hands. We forget about it because of the busyness, because of this, because of that. Oh, well, I, you know, I come to church, or I think I just about remembered it, then it's forgotten again because we're busy about other things. We need to make sure for ourselves that we do not forget that God holds our lives in his hands and all of our ways. Verse 24, it says, Then he sent the hand... That wrote the inscription, and this is the inscription that was written, Mini, Mini, Tikel, Parsin. This is what the words mean. Mini, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You are speaking, Daniel is speaking to the king, and this is what he is declaring. He has a great authority in the presence of such a man. Tikel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, which is the singular of passing. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then it goes on to say at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. He was given all the covering. He was given the gold chain. He was given the authority of the kingdom. But you see, Daniel knew. What does that really mean? Because the later that night, Darius the Mede came and the kingdom exchanged hands overnight. You see, that can happen in life. 
We're giving ourselves for so much. We're giving ourselves for that promotion. When I get to that place, I'm going to be something. When I finally get there, I'm going to be something. What matters, what matters is that we are surrendered to God. That we know that our lives are in his hands. And that we are here to do his purpose. That is what really matters. That is our purpose. Oh, but we're going about the mundane. Yes, the mundane, the ordinary, the average is part of our lives. But we're here for him because we were created by him and for him. And we're here to bring his kingdom into being on this earth. Hallelujah. The Medes and the Persians, quickly into Daniel chapter 6. This is going to be a fast version of Daniel and the lion's den. So here's Daniel. Now, our man Daniel... What's first in his mind? Serving the kingdom. What's first in his mind? Bringing the kingdom of God here upon the earth. Another whole change in the political arena. Now the whole system that he'd been used to has just gone out the window. You've got a new man come into government. You've got a new leader of the nation. You've got a new man in place, and this man is Darius the Mede. And Darius, King Darius, it tells us at the beginning of chapter 6, that he was quick to establish himself. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, now they're rulers of some sort, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Whoa. He gets appointed again to a high governmental position. The sa- uh, 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 among the... Ad- verse 3, sorry. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the others, the administrators and the satraps, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Of course. Why? Because he is operating in the kingdom of God and he is seeking to bring the kingdom of God in. You cannot operate in two kingdoms. You can't say, I am a Christian and I'm following God and you're lying and you're cheating and you're going about corrupt things. Because you're opening darkness to come in through those ways. And here we see a man who was surrendered and sold out to God. The reason that Daniel had results is because his heart was in God's hands. And God could use him. Sometimes we're saying, God, I'm here, use me, use me. But our lives are all over the place. We can't even have a quiet time, let alone a noisy time before God. We don't even know when that is. What what time is your quiet time? Oh, sometime. When, sometime last month, or this month, or this week? We don't know where we are. But you see, with Daniel, that's different. Daniel, we know exactly what he does. We know that he goes and he prays three times a day. And guess what? Everybody else knew that he did that. He wasn't afraid, therefore, of declaring who he was by his lifestyle. Are you afraid of declaring who you are by your lifestyle? They knew that I was a Christian. The challenge of these things, it must challenge us. Where are we at? Because we have been called, like Daniel, to bring change to our nation. 
So you might, well, I only operate in this very small part. Yes, but it's important to God because he's placed you there. But I'm not as great as those people. Don't worry about anybody else. Worry about the fact that you've got to do a good job. If Daniel was worrying about everybody else, what's going to happen to my friends? What's going to happen back at home? I'm so worried about them. Listen, you get your head down and do a good job where you are because you're serving not just these people, you're serving God in what you're doing. And the same can be said of us whether we're at school. Are we seeking to serve God amongst our friends, which is really difficult? The environment at school is much more difficult, I think, than what we have in workplaces. Certainly more difficult than I have in my workplace here. They get a bit uppity every now and again, but you know, not like that. Where you have the things of the world being thrown at you all the time. In chapter uh, 6, verse 5, it says, Finally, these men, these other government officials, they said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king, and they said to King Darius, Live forever. We're here to butter you up, but we're not going to say that. The royal administrators, prefects, and all of those people, they said, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and uh, governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. You can imagine, what do you think about that king? We think you're so great. Anybody who prays to any other god, they should be praying to you. So for the next 30 days, let's make a rule that everybody should be praying to you. Do you think that's a good idea, king? What would you have done if you were king Darius? That sounds like great, yeah. So let's sign it off, because they know that when he's signed it off and his signature is put into it, it becomes irrevocable. And they know that they're doing it because they want to trap Daniel. They all knew about Daniel's life. They'd used this to trap him. And so the decree is put in writing. When we go to chapter 6, verse 10, we read this. Now when Daniel... Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. See, when he asked Daniel, Daniel, when do you have your quiet time, your noisy time? When do you do that? It's known. It's regular. It's there in his life. It's built into him. This is what I do because I serve God. Now, there's a question for us to ask ourselves. Do we have that regularity? Do we have that built into our lives because we also are serving God? Or is it a bit of a mystery? Is it a bit of a muddle? It doesn't matter if it's a muddle because we can bring a muddle into order. It doesn't matter if it's non-existent right now because we can say enough is enough. I have to draw a line and I'm now going to move. But what does matter is that we stop living a duplicitous life. That does matter. What does matter is that we seek to serve one kingdom, not two. That does matter. What does matter is that we start to honour God above everything else. 
that does matter. And the way that we can do that is to surrender our lives to him. To let go. God, what you say, that's what I'm going to do. So when we come to Matthew's Gospel and it says, when you pray, we can say, yes, that's what I'm now doing. When I pray. Daniel knew that for him to maintain the position that he had got to, he had to maintain a prayer life. He had established his altar, and that altar was ongoing. Guys, you better come up here. The altar was ongoing. Even when death threats were issued against him, it did not stop him praying and seeking after God. That's how steadfast he was. That's how urgent he remained. And of course, his workers, his co-workers knew all about it. We know what happens because we know that Daniel eventually he gets thrown into the lion's den. There's not a question of, is God going to save you or whatever? Daniel just surrenders himself to God. But when he went into the lion's den, and he was thrown there, and it was sealed up, we don't get any story. The only story we get is looking back at the king, what happened to Darius. And Darius went home. That night, he couldn't eat. He didn't want any entertainment. He didn't want to sleep with any women. He just wanted... He was worried about what had happened because he knew injustice had been done. And early the next morning, the king gets up. And I have to say, this is one of my, I don't know why, but it's one of my favorite uh, scriptures. Not because it particularly does anything, but I just love it. And I'm now looking for it to say it. The king, here it is. This is King Darius. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And don't forget, Darius is saying this at a sealed over part of where it went down into the lion's den. So he can't see. He's like speaking to a metal uh, grid or a covering. He's speaking to that. Has your God been able to save you? And then these beautiful words come back. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lion and they have not been able to hurt me. That just brings joy to my heart to think that this king is being transformed once again by the life of this surrendered man, because there is power in surrendering to God and of following his ways. We know that the other satraps and all that lot, they got thrown into the lion's den, and they were overcome by the lions before they even reached the bottom. Because the lions were hungry, but they just weren't hungry for Daniel. Please, the message of Daniel is one message. It's really rather what Moody said. And Moody said this. D.L. Moody was a great American evangelist. He said this, The world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is fully surrendered to him. And that's what the message of Daniel is all about. Here is a man who has surrendered to God. He wasn't a special person. He wasn't better than us. He was just a man who was surrendered to God. And for us, 
here as men and women who have given our hearts to Jesus. God wants to do things through our lives like he did through Daniel's life. But what he's looking for is will we let go of our lives and will he let him come and do his work through us.